I wanted to talk about the, the seven factors of awakening. They are a really important teaching, and uh, they're in the suttas a lot, and the Buddha gave the teaching a lot, and I, um, they're really important, and, um, you know, I was thinking about, I talk a lot about using this practice as how to maneuver through um, the world we're in right now, because there's a lot going on, and how beneficial it is, and and um, this week I was thinking I wanted to do a more formal look at a particular teaching. And, and it's actually wonderful, I think, because this is how what the Buddha invited us to look at, um, how the Buddha invited us to practice. And uh, it also serves to help us in our lives as we move through the world. I... I was at a webinar this morning. Timothy also was there with um, Rhonda McGee, although it's sad you couldn't see anybody else who was there, but, you know, but that was fine. Um, Rhonda McGee and uh, Venerable Analio, who's um, is a very wise monk, and Rhonda McGee wrote a book. I can never remember the name of it. Um, but they did, a, uh, they did a, a webinar, say, Mindfully Confronting Racism. And uh, it was really excellent. And um, she, Rhonda McGee at the beginning did a meditation and she talked about how this practice enables us to do the difficult work, enables us to confront racism, confront all the other things that are going on in this world and um, do it with um, uh without getting caught up in greed and hatred and delusion and without getting becoming that which we're working um, against without causing harm um, to do it mindfully, skillfully, ethically. And so that's why I think looking at the seven factors of awakening is really important because they are part of that journey to getting to that place to be able to hold ourselves um, with integrity as we move, as we face the day, um, as we face 2020, and um, 2020 ain't going away on December 31st. <laughs> We're going to go right into 2021. Um, so mindfulness, I mean, the seven factors of awakening are mindfulness, uh, investigation or curiosity, He hit the bowl, scared himself, and ran out. Um, sorry. So seven factors are mindfulness, energy, uh, no, excuse me, curiosity, investigation, energy, uh, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And I'll go through them and give more details. But they're really important. And there are a couple of uh, quotes from the suttas. This is from Joseph Goldstein's book, Mindfulness. The bhikkhus, I do not see even one thing that, when developed and cultivated, leads to the abandoning of things that fetter the hindrances so effectively as this, the seven factors of awakening. Bhikkhus, the seven factors, when developed and cultivated, are noble and emancipating. They lead the one who acts upon them to the complete destruction of suffering. 
So if you think of them, even what they're called, the seven factors of awakening, they are qualities that need to be developed in order to find liberation, in order to awaken, in order to not be trapped by the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the armies of Mara, greed and hatred and delusion, ignorance, and getting caught up in this cycle of birth and redeath and, and just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It enables us to really see what's going on. And so, um, and as with so many of these teachings, there's this beautiful progression starting with the, okay, this is where you enter and this is how you build up and here's where you end up. And it makes a lot of sense. And also with the Buddhist teaching so often is it's not about getting it right. It's about allowing it to become part of how you move through the world, which is so beneficial. It's like, you know, getting rid of that. We have to accomplish this, getting rid of that sense of outcome and agenda and all these things. It's really just about, okay, this is how we move through the world. How do I, um, shift how I see things and let go. How do I see where I'm clinging? How do I see where I'm pushing away and let go? And so let, let me just jump into that. And again, the first one, oh, back up a little bit for those who may not be familiar, the four foundations of mindfulness are listed in as part of the, um, excuse me, the seven factors are listed as part of the four uh, foundations of mindfulness. There's mindfulness of the body, which is kind of basic body uh, breath. And then the second foundation is feeling tones, noticing you begin to notice when things are pleasant or unpleasant. And then you uh, uh, mindfulness of the mind and mindfulness of the what's the contents of the mind. And inside of that, there's the four noble truths the you know what the nature of suffering is, the hindrances, the aggregates, the sense stores, um, but and the seven factors and um the seven factors and the hindrances are kind of like, um, not partners, but they're like, uh, if you're, if the hindrances are present, you don't have the awakening factors. If the awakening factors are present, you don't have the hindrances. The hindrances are those things that keep us, keep us trapped. Um, they're, they're greed, hatred, and, and, um, delusion. Basically they're clinging, craving, wanting what we want when we want it, not wanting what we don't want, um, getting caught in restlessness and worry or dullness and doubt. Um, so mindfulness and mindfulness is the first factor and it's really the foundation of so much practice. It's the foundation of, of pretty much this whole thing insight, um, staying put in the present. That's what this is. Um, and the Buddha said the person lacking in this quality cannot achieve anything worthwhile. Because we're caught up in the in the habits of the mind. So when we start paying attention, it's like the instruction I gave today in the meditation, start paying attention and begin to notice those habits of mind. I talked about habits and patterns of the mind a few weeks ago, you know, recognizing when we're caught up in judging or comparing or caught up in those stories about ourselves that we're not good enough. We're unlovable. We'll never fit in. Um, I, I read things all the time and I go, oh, that's another story. Maybe not mine, but stories that people get trapped in sense of inadequacy. Yeah, you're not good enough or whatever. Um, recognizing that those are conditioned stories. They're not absolute facts about who you are. And so what we have to do is is 
when you begin to recognize those stories as stories, as like, oh, here I am in that story again, you begin to have the ability to make a choice. When you're trapped in the story, there's no choice. You are there. You're not good enough. You're unlovable. Whatever it is, you are there and you're doomed. I have been doomed much of my life. <laughs> not really, but in my head I was because of the stories we were told, how we grew up, the messages we received, the things we decided were real and not real, were important and not important. It's really extraordinary when you begin to dissect these and go, why do I even think that? Like fresh vegetables are better than frozen vegetables. And you're morally a better person if you eat fresh over frozen. I mean, like crazy things that we make up, rules that we become trapped in because they become reified and solidified and rigid and we can't put them down because then the whole world would explode. And so when we bring mindfulness to it, we begin to see, wait a minute, that's a story. What does, what? And so you have a choice and whatever you feed is what hangs out. That's like that story about the good wolf and the bad wolf. And it's like, which one's going to show up? And it's like, which one are you going to feed? If you feed the bad wolf, those, those, those um, scary stories, the scary one is going to show up. If you feed the, the beneficial ones, that's the one that's going to show up. So we begin to develop a choice and begin to um, uh, have a place to say, oh, wait a minute. And so mindfulness is about coming back to the present. What's really here? Not what's the story, but what's really here. And you begin to recognize, which leads into the next one. These kind of move into each other. They kind of, When you begin to have one, the next one kind of comes a little bit naturally. So the next one is, okay, this is, here's the story. What is this? It's the understanding of what's going on. You begin to have the traditionally it's said investigation, but it's also curiosity or discernment or differentiating one thing from another. Um, beginning to see which what leads to suffering, what leads to happiness. You know? Is this is this um, what's going on here? And so there's less reactive less reacting and more asking what's up. Saying, okay, is this is what the mind is telling me, but what's actually happening? You know, I, I tell a story a lot, or and, and, and this is so true about so many things. Um, you know, when I, the air, where uh, ATS, the air conditioner always went click, click when it would turn on, and I would get pissed off because I'd go, oh, I'm going to be cold, ah, especially when I was teaching. And then recognizing that, um, one time I wasn't cold. I was angry because I heard the noise and that meant this. And so I was all pissed off because this was going to be. And then I said, wait a minute, that's a story. What's really happening? Oh, what's really happening is I'm not cold. I'm fine. But my head took over and immediately developed an attitude and started reacting to something that didn't even exist. So when we have mindfulness, we come back from the story and say, what's actually happening right here? It's seeing things as they actually are in their proper perspective. What's really happening? You know, what is this going to like take me towards suffering or take me away from suffering? Take me towards discomfort or take me away from discomfort? Um, it's really, really incredibly important um, to have that that this questioning mind. In in um, 
Zen mind, beginner's mind, and, and he asks the question, Suzuki Roshi says, what is this? The invitation is to say, what is this? Not my preconceived notion about what it is. This means this. You said this, so I know it means this. That mind reading, that fortune telling. No, it's like, what's actually here? And sometimes it's it's a surprise. When you pay attention, it's actually a surprise. I had no idea. Especially when you quiet the mind, and, and we'll get into this. But when the mind really quiets, you make space for, for what's there to come up. Especially deep things that have been buried for a while. But you start with the with the what's really white, what's really here. Um, begin to see what's skillful, what's not skillful. And it's not about blind faith. It's just about what is here? What is this? What's actually happening? And in order to um, keep that, keep that, that movement out of the story and back into the present, you need energy. You need this next factor of enlightenment, which is energy or effort. It's, um, uh, what is it? There's a, who said this? Um, oh, Gil Fronsdell said, energy comes from a deep resolve to end suffering for ourselves. We begin to see when you begin to let go of the story and the reactivity and recognize that it's just a story and come into the investigation of what is this, then you recognize that you don't have to go there and you're willing to make the effort to stay with the investigation, stay present. What's going, come back from that that's unpleasant, not necessarily unpleasant, but that's not beneficial. Come back from the, uh, the typical word is unwholesome. You know, those stories that don't serve and recognize when they're there, know how to let them go, recognize what's beneficial and stay there. So there's, there's an effort that's required. Um, there's a, a Joseph Goldstein, when he talks about this, he talks about spiritual urgency. You know, recognizing that we actually need to do this. It's not, it's, life's not a dress rehearsal. We don't, it's not next week. It's not next month. It's not next year. It's actually right now. So bring the effort now. We're here. We're present, stay here. Um, I know that I have found that to be true. The more I practice, the more I'm willing to do it, the more I'm willing to let go. Used to be I'd have conversations with myself. I mean, I still do to a certain extent, but way more I try and talk myself into not letting go, saying, no, this is really important. And it's like, just let go. Just like it doesn't serve anything to hold on. Can you just let go? There's a spiritual urgency to it. Recognizing that hanging on doesn't accomplish anything. Why am I hanging on? So um, this curiosity leads to energy and more engagement and looking to the present rather than elsewhere. It's... Um, um, Yeah, it's, it's kind of, again, you see this is mindfulness leads to curiosity, which requires energy. And energy uh, effort is one of the um, eight factors, uh, factors of the Eightfold Path. This, again, it's the how you move into a place of um, freedom by doing this, by being willing to stay, by being willing to, to 
let go of the thinking because that they they those thoughts, those habits, those patterns are so deeply embedded. And oftentimes it's scary to let go of them because it's like, who will we be? If this story is not true, then who am I? And there has to be a willingness to let go and see what's truly there to arise. It's that trusting in the unfolding, which is, which is a factor, a piece of equanimity, to trust the unfolding of this moment. And so these first three lead to a little bit of work and we are require some work, require the effort to, you know, you've all sat, you've all practiced, you all know how sometimes it sucks. <laughs> it's really hard and it's painful and it's not easy, but you do it anyway. You do it anyway and you come back and you do it again. And some days it's like, oh, cool. And other days it's not. And so what happens is, when you can fully let go of the of the future, the past, and really you've made the effort to be in the moment and you're with what is, there's a, a sense of joy that can arise. And it's that joy that um, is not dependent on external things. I'm not, you don't have to behave the way I want you to behave in order for me to feel this ease and contentment, this joy. And uh, when the hindrances are not present, there's this sense of joy. When we're not in craving or aversion or restlessness and worry or dullness, there's this sense. There's this sense, and and it's it's kind of equated to um, like when you have uh, when you're totally absorbed in doing something that really you delight in, that gives you joy, like being in the zone. If any of you have hobbies that you really get into and like people who play music or sports or knit or crochet or whatever it is you do that you're gardening. I know I not personally, but gardening for some people is really a place where they can just be. Um, that is, and if you begin to notice the absence of the hindrances, which is really important. We talk so much about, recognizing the hindrances, recognizing when you're suffering, it's important to recognize when you're not suffering. What does that feel like? Because when you can tap into that or feel that joy, you go, oh, I get it. This makes sense. Um, and the Buddha said we are, we find joy when we're truly in the moment and without hindrances. And I'm sure you've all had those moments where you're just, especially you can have them in meditation or just walking around. When there's this sense of ease, because you've learned to tune in more through this mindfulness practice, you're more aware when there's calm and ease, when there is this joy. And then it kind of goes hand in hand with the next factor, which is tranquility, which is just this ability to be um, peaceful and e easeful, regardless a tranquil mind is spacious. So you've made room. You're not cluttered by the thoughts and distractions. The thoughts may be there, but you're not distracted by them. It's like those old patterns, those old stories might float by, but they no longer grab you and take you with them. You go, oh, yeah, I, yeah, there's that story again. Okay. I'm not buying into it this time. I'm not going along for the ride. I'm not diving down that rabbit hole of a lot of discomfort. 
lot of self-flagellation. I don't have to do that. Um, it's a soothing quality that we have. You know, and it's this calming effect that comes with joy. And, and it's, again, first there's the mindfulness. And then there's this, this um, curiosity. What's actually going on? And then the effort to stay there. And when that's kind of in place, then there's this joy and tranquility. And, you know, I was noticing it this morning with um, Bhikkhu Analio, because he's a monk with many, many years of practice. And I see it with lots of monks, with Bhikkhu Bodhi, who I've sat with a, a, a bunch recently, and other monastics or people with deep, deep and long-term practice, a lot of the nuns, Ayananda Bodhi and Naya Santachita. Uh, a friend of mine, Ayavimala, who's in Belgium, um, there's this lightness and um, and joy to them. And this morning, Bhikkhu Analia was laughing a lot. Even when we're discussing really difficult topics or challenging things, there's this lightness. Not that he's not taking things seriously. Absolutely, he's taking things seriously. But that um, it's not it's not knocking him over. You know, he has this joy, he has this tranquility, and I really like that quality. And um, again, there's a piece of equanimity that's in there, which I'll I'll get into again. That's the last factor, but it's it's joy and, and calm, joy and tranquility are part of that. It's really there's a spaciousness in the mind that can hold um, difficult things and and not so difficult things. Fluff, a silly cat who chews on your socks while you're trying to lead a meditation. I mean, it just is. And so when you have this joy and this calm and this tranquility, you are able to be concentrated. The calm and concentrated mind is able to be uh, be still. A mind is the concentrated mind is able to be still. And I and, and I I think it was a I had Dhammadipa, who's a nun uh, at Aloka Vihara. She was talking about concentration, and she likes to call it composure or collectedness. It's like you're you're composed. You're not distracted. You're able to be with what's right here. So there's a steadiness of the mind. The mind is willing to be still. And when you're calm, it's easier to be still. You're unified with what is. That's the concentrated mind. So again, and concentration, samadhi, is, is also a, a part of the Eightfold Path. It's like effort and mindfulness and samadhi. It's it's this one fat, one. Um, section of the Eightfold Path, really important and necessary for freedom and from, you know, getting caught up in the world. So there's this, this calm and tranquility which supports this collectedness of mind. And when there's this collectedness of mind, you move into equanimity, which is something I've talked about a lot lately because it's so important. It's, um, it's, 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 um, this place of of balance and not indifference. It's the it's the it's the result of a calm, concentrated mind. It's the ability to 
what is um, Dhammadipa, Aya Dhammadipa says, engagement without entanglement. We engage with the world, but we're not entangled of it, entangled with it. We don't get caught up in all the stuff that's going on. We're able to receive it. We're able to hold it and be touched by it. You know, the compassion, the word compassion in Pali is karuna, which means um, uh, a quivering of the heart. So we're engaged with the world. We're not indifferent to it, but we're not bowled over by it. We're not caught up in the, I love the teaching around equanimity of the eight worldly winds, the praise and the blame. We're not devastated by blame or, or you know, driven to distraction by praise. Gain and loss, you know, it doesn't always have to be win. You know, um, who is that coach? that Notre Dame coach, I can't remember his name, but, you know, losing is not an option. Vince Lombardi, great hero. You know, you're not allowed to lose. And it's like, well, that's setting up a horrible idea, you know. So, but you're going to lose. I mean, you're going to lose somewhere, somehow. So if you're not allowed to lose, that's going to cause a lot of, lot of distress, um, you're not going to know how to deal with it. So to recognize that you're going to lose, it's okay. It happens. Um, p- pleasure and pain. We're always going after the pleasure. We do everything we can k- to get rid of the pain. Um, yes. I, yeah, I won't. I was just thinking about my tooth that got pulled the other day. <laughs> so... There's no more pain. Yay. Um, so so we're not knocked over by these things. They happen. We recognize as part of being a human being, these ups and downs. It's, it's going to happen. But we have this neutrality in the mind. Uh, this is Bhikkhu Bodhi says there's, it's like neutrality in the mind. We're in the middleness. We're secluded from the hindrances. We're not caught up in the craving or the, the aversion. You know, we're not deluded. We see clearly the nature of what's happening in the world. We see the ugliness. If you want to take it to this this world, we see the 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 ugliness, the the suffering that's happening right now. We see it in all its glory, and we see the joy that's also present. I mean, so we in in uh, Gil says upeka, which is the word. In Pali, that means equanimity. He said the etymology is to look over. So not from this place of, oh, you guys, but to have this big view, this perspective. I talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about um, when I was, I think it was when I was, I don't remember when it was, but I was talking about having a pea brain. I had a, what I call a pea brain, a very small perspective, very small perspective. The world was out here, but all I could see was this, my ideas of the way it was, the way it was, the way it should be, the way I fit into it, who I was, who you were, how you saw me, how I needed you to see me. It was all rolled up into this. I had all this figured out and that loses everything, you know, so um, to let go of that is to have a bigger perspective perspective is to see more than just what my mind these stories created by my mind and when we let go we're able to see that we're able to have that um 
awareness, which is ever so important. So there's spaciousness. There's lots of room. It's the the example of salt in a little in a cup. If you throw a, a tablespoon of salt in a cup of water, it's pretty nasty. But if you throw it in a bathtub or in in a lake, you're not even going to notice the salt. So things there's a much bigger picture going on. Um, so um, these these factors are incredibly important and they're incredibly doable. They're they're available to each of us. You know, it just starts with mindfulness. Start where you are. Start with what the the uh, difficulty is right now. Um, you know, we we begin to what we're doing is preparing the mind to let go totally. But even if we just have a few moments of ease, of joy, of equanimity. You know, if we've spent a whole life not even noticing equanimity when it's there, because I know we've had moments of it, but we're so focused where it's like disappears. But to recognize when it's there and to be with it, that is that kind of creates its own momentum. It does something to the brain. It has a beneficial impact on the brain, but it creates its own momentum. And so then we're going to see, oh, I had that flavor of ease for a moment. I'm going to keep doing this. So it's not like you have to start from part one or you have to get mindfulness right before you move on to this. They kind of, as with so many of these teachings, they all support each other and they're interwoven and inter, inter, um, interconnected. Um, yeah, and recognize uh, when you are not caught up. As I said, it's so important to recognize when there's joy. Recognize when there's not hindrances, when there's no uh, greed or hatred or delusion, when you are calm. So important. Um, Gil Fransdell says it's these are nice because they're the sunny and sweet experiences rather than the, the hindrances, which are really unpleasant really unpleasant. It's so unpleasant to be caught up in craving. Even if it's just the littlest thing, it's it because you can get what you want and you're not, there's not an, an ease that the ease doesn't come from getting what you want. The ease comes from the end of craving. And then there's going to be something else because that ease is impermanent. Nothing lasts forever. And so then there's, you're on to the next thing. So you're on to the next thing. But this ease comes from an internal relationship. It comes from an internal experience and your relationship with the world. And you have let go of how it should be. Doesn't mean you don't address suffering. It doesn't mean you don't address harm. But how you relate to it is very different is very different. I speak from experience and, and having had a very different experience with the world over these last several years because of this practice. And I'm sure a number of you can can also um, talk to that, that shifting, even if it's little. And it's like, again, it's like you don't get this overnight, but what else am I going to do? Really? You know, I'm not going to stop doing this because it works. I'm, I'm really happy. So uh, let's see, do I have any other groovy things to say about any of this? Nope. Um, nope, 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 nope. So those are my thoughts on the seven factors of awakening. I invite you to um, 
check them out. Don't believe it just because I say it. Try it for yourself. See if it takes you away from suffering, takes you towards suffering. Um, yeah. Any, any questions or comments or thoughts? I'm happy also to break you into a couple of groups as well. So you can chat amongst yourselves. Any, any questions before I do that? Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.